This program contains adult content. Is there a God? A big atheist. Really? What, am I an idiot? Come on. That yes, it would be nice if you could throw your sins and your responsibilities on someone else. But it's not true. It looks like far left lunacy. I don't believe that it's true that religion is moral or ethical. You don't need to follow anybody! It's not human intelligence! If someone doesn't value logical consistency, what logical argument are you going to give them that will demonstrate that they should? Hello and welcome to the Godless Revolution. Today is Sunday, July 25th. This is episode 343. I'm Dan Ellis, joined by two fabulous co-hosts, Mr. Ron Duffy. Oh, yes. And Mr. Taylor Grin. Hey, hey. Woo! And additionally this week, we're super happy and excited to welcome... Mr. Phil Ferguson onto the show. How are you, man? I am well. Thank you for having me. Ooh, listen to that sultry, sexy, smooth voice. <laughs> I can, you know, it's like one of those things I can just talk like this. Hi. Oh, here's my normal voice. Hello there. <laughs> <laughs> this is all from a video processor. It's so great to button. see you guys. I'm so excited yeah. to be here. Magic. <laughs> I, I actually do have a vocal processor to, to uh, cheat a little bit, but... Uh, <sighs> When when I first did it, uh, I asked people for uh, opinions about before and after on the sound, and I had twenty people respond, and uh, nineteen said I can't hear a fucking difference, <laughs> <laughs> and the one said I can hear a difference and it sucks. You sound like an FM uh, DJ uh, <laughs> show. And I said, well, that's kind of what I was going for. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it worked. So you're saying uh, I nailed it and you're not happy yeah, with that. Yeah. That sucks. And uh, he says, if you don't change it back, I'm not going to listen to your show. I'm like, okay. Well, well nice <laughs> thanks. Don't play a door hit you. Yeah. 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 Can't, can't say I, I'll really miss you because I can't really tell when you're on in the first place. So I, I told you guys in pre-show how hot my office gets. And I, I think I've underestimated how quickly it gets hot. Uh, so if you suddenly, uh, the, the listeners can't see us, but if I suddenly disappear, that's mean means I'm running to go get an ice pack to put on my balls because uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it's so hot and humid here uh, in our uh, mulch yesterday. Uh, we had what they call it dog vomit mold show up. Oh, yeah, mold. I saw oh that. It looked God. like a, a slime mold. Yeah, no, I, I thought someone had eaten like mustard and then puked <laughs> just no that's a that's a crazy critter man it's uh it's like a hive mind kind of thing like they're yeah. really interesting um yeah yeah it's a prokaryotic cell that forms like a mega organism um and believe it or not like this this is one of those it's a well-known fact norm like uh, <laughs> i didn't know that kind of interesting a lot like, of people are like, saying <laughs> they are so efficient at like finding their way towards nutrients that scientists will use um, slime molds as like a a like test validation for traveling salesman problems in like route pathing. So, for example, um, like the, the Japanese subway actually, system. I, I right? get that. <laughs> yeah, um, the the Japanese subway system. They mapped it out on like a piece of paper, and then they put cornflakes on on like the paper. <laughs> in the position where the different traffic stops would be and then put a, a slime mold there and it reached tendrils out to those cornflakes to get the nutrients. And it almost perfectly mirrored how the subway was oriented in terms of how like the different lines were, right. were networked. Yeah. That's yeah. Actually quite cool. I, I love uh, 
the uh, stuff like that, like route design and queue theory, um, mm-hmm. or every once in a while, like I used to live in Champaign-Urbana, Champaign, Illinois, and there's this one traffic light that you can sit there for like 10 cycles. Hmm. <laughs> and it's like, somebody has to know how to do this better. <laughs> I don't know right. why it's a problem because the, the, the cross traffic has like five cars waiting and I'm like mm-hmm. 120 cars back waiting for this light to change again. And of course, when I go through it, the next light, they're, they're waiting. So you get cars blocking each other in this intersection and you go mm-hmm. a second block south and there's nobody. Yeah. I was like, yeah. Where? We've got, we've got a very similar one on the main street of my town. And like, I, I keep wanting to go to a city council meeting and just say, just make it one green light at a time and go counterclockwise. Then people can take left-hand turns, then traffic can flow freely. But instead, yeah, they get those congestions where one dude will sit in the intersection the entire light waiting for oncoming traffic to stop yeah. so they can make their left-hand turn. It's ridiculous. And I don't know yeah. if you guys have noticed this, traffic circles are becoming a bigger, more common thing across mm-hmm. the United States. Have you noticed that? Oh, they're great. I, I love uh, them. Yeah. I like them. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. torn. I, I think if you know where you're going, they're fantastic. But Google Maps is like, take the 17th exit on your <laughs> left. <laughs> like, oh, how do I... Four, five, uh, yeah, but uh, I, yeah. what I, I actually is the Americans. Oh, sorry. To, oh, sorry. So I actually worked on a video for uh, a local police department probably three years back on teaching people how to use roundabouts. Yeah. And you'd mm-hmm. be amazed mm-hmm. by the ignorance of people posting comments on the video being like, that's not how you do it. That's that's the wrong way to use a roundabout. <laughs> like, asshole. These are the cops telling you you're doing it wrong. You don't have to stop. <laughs> It's a yield. If there's no one yep. coming, keep yep. going. It's supposed to keep flowing. I like and everyone was arguing with the cops yeah. on there saying you're doing it wrong. The occasional <laughs> videos where someone uses it as a launching ramp at the oh, center. Yeah. Uh-huh. I've seen yeah. those. Yeah, I've seen mm-hmm. those where they're just going way too fast. They don't slow down nothing. It's just like, oh, the, somebody put a nice little ramp here in front of me. I'm a Dukes of Hazard this shit. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, yeah. it's extra fun if you live in a place that actually gets snow, unlike you fuckers. <laughs> yeah I, I agree with that statement yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah no i man i i lived in qatar for a couple of years and when i was driving in downtown doha they'll have roundabouts that are four lanes deep oh, yeah. and like yeah. you figure that shit out and you know you've got everything from giant lorries to like you know one dude on a pizza delivery moped uh and there are no traffic accidents. Like everyone pays attention and does their thing. It's wild to me how Americans it, can't handle a two lane roundabout. It reminded me we were in a, a taxi cab in Paris one time and uh, it was, traffic was crazy. And I said, uh, traffic here is very intense. What do you, what do you think of it? And I said, we just came from Rome. And he goes, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> Not much of a comparison, really. Yeah, I think that the first time we saw something crazy, there were some uh, police officers near us on on foot because we were sitting at this outside cafe. And I started a conversation and asked them if they saw what just happened. And they said, yeah. And I said, what do you do? What do you do about that? And they said, no, there was no accident. We don't care. Like, okay. (laughs) I got, you know, maybe, maybe we should be more that way in the United States sometimes, but. (laughs) The the weirdest thing that I've seen here, but I, I love it too, is that they'll, well, a couple things. We have continuous flow intersections. I don't know if you've yeah. got any of those sure. around. Those are those are kind of yeah. cool. And then we've got because our interstate system here is primarily, you know, one or two roads that that supply everybody. And so everybody branches off from that main 
I-15 basically east and west, and there aren't any good arteries flowing from those east and west benches back to the freeway. And so at different points in the day, there are a lot of uh, feeder or artery roads that, that flow in either direction, and they'll change the direction of traffic on three or four of the lanes based on yeah. lights. That I thought that was a great mm-hmm. thing that they started doing, I don't know, like 10 years ago, maybe. And that I, helped I a don't lot. Know what, what they're called, but it's funny. I've watched videos and read about this, which is really, really geeky, but uh, some large interstate um, exchanges where you have, you know, a big interstate and then a, a giant bridge that, of another busy road, not necessarily an interstate on the other side, but they'll have this double X thing going where north north of the interstate, there's a big X and south of it is a big X. And you, when you drive over the interstate, you actually shift from the right-hand side to the left-hand side through one stoplight mm-hmm. and then back to the right-hand side after you get over the interstate. And yep. it freaks people out. But the whole idea is that no one ever has to turn across traffic. Um, yeah. Yep. They, they implemented several of those. Yeah. Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, no. They 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 you were saying that you had friends from uh St. George. They implemented several of those at major intersections in St. George um and like drastically reduced accidents. Yeah. So, yeah. Very nice. <sighs> well, welcome to car talk so and traffic traffic speak. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, Dan, you beat me to the joke. <laughs> well, and I was going to say, maybe Phil needs to start a new podcast because your show, for, for those who do not know the awesomeness that is Mr. Phil Ferguson, you have your own podcast called, it's cleverly titled what? The Phil Ferguson Show. Yeah, that's it. The <laughs> Phil Ferguson Show. <laughs> Yes. I couldn't and, even come up with the name either time, by the way, for the podcast or my birth. But uh. <laughs> Well, and it's, it's, it's interesting because it's the only, I don't know, atheist slash skeptical podcast that I know of that, that is kind of, it, it straddles two different stratospheres. It's, it's financial advice and talking about finances and skepticism and atheism. And those, those just aren't, that's not a combination I've seen on any other show. You're a very unique person. It's uh my my pitch is it's uh 50% atheism, 50% investment advice. Well, I guess investment information is not really advice. <laughs> Investing <laughs> information uh and I'm number one in that category. Yeah. Uh, how how many other shows are there in that category? <laughs> yeah, yeah, number one. Number one in that category. The other <laughs> one is uh money, politics and religion, the three things you shouldn't talk about with your family. Mhm. 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 But uh, I mean that's how I always explain our show. And someone goes, what's your podcast about? I'm like, it's everything you don't talk about at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. It's, it's mm-hmm. like when I started it, a whole bunch of friends were like, that's not how podcasts work. You, you, pick, you pick a subject and you talk about that. And my position was kind of like, I don't give a shit how it's supposed to work. I, I, just, I just do what I'd like to do. And it makes life a lot easier if you can be, dare I say, blessed enough uh, to have your job be something you find fun, like the uh, the investment part because of my business. I actually like doing that. And I have explained the difference between an IRA and a Roth IRA a million times. And, and I think to myself, if only I had a dollar for each time I've explained it, I kind of do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. it's interesting. The IRS, so I, I'm a federal employee. I work for... Uncle Sam at the IRS, and they recently started offering Roth IRAs 
uh, nice. In addition to our regular 401k stuff. I was going to say, you mean a Roth 401k or do you mean a Roth IRA? Uh, sure. It's probably, <laughs> it's, I, I know so little about either one that I don't really know. I'm guessing it's a Roth 401k. Roth 401k. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, honestly, I don't know which one I should be putting into my regular 401k oh. or the Roth, or if I should be doing both. I have a beautiful and easy answer to solve your dilemma. Okay. It depends. Ooh. Oh, yeah. nah. On <laughs> Upon what does it depend? Yeah. It, it, and so, you know, at the core of it, if you're paying 25% marginal tax now, the question is, are you better off paying that tax now? Or not paying that tax now. Mm. If when you retire, you're paying 25% marginal tax. Also, then it kind of doesn't really matter whether you pay 25% now on what you put in, or if you pay 25% later on what you take out, it kind of is the same. I mean, you can make some very good esoteric arguments that might prove me fractionally wrong, but the gist is it doesn't matter in that scenario. However, um, if you think taxes are going to be higher in the future than they are today, which I do think that, uh, you might make a pretty good argument for paying more tax now to not pay the tax later. Hence, the Roth might be better. But actually, I just did a segment on this uh, on the Phil Ferguson show uh, a week or two ago. I think I called it IRA versus Roth versus 401k versus taxable. Because of the current tax system that favors the wealthy by accident, of course. Oh, sure. And yeah. also, uh, the taxes that you pay in a taxable account are now relatively low compared to the taxes that you might pay when you take money out of an IRA. Depending on your current financial situation, you might actually be money ahead investing in a taxable account and not even worrying about having an IRA. Mm. How's that for weird? So, uh, and then of course, if you put $10,000 in a taxable account and you put it in a stock index fund and you let it grow to $50,000, say at some long time future point, you take $40,000 or you take all $50,000 out. The first $10,000, you already paid taxes on that on the year that you put it in there when you earned it. So you, know, you owe no tax on that. You only owe tax on the 40,000 in gains. And unless you're making a buttload of money, you're going to cap out about 15% long-term capital gains tax rate. And so you're going to pay 15% on that 40,000, which is $6,000 in taxes. If you had put that in an IRA and paid no taxes up front and then took out $50,000, if your tax rate is 25%, you may pay 12, 13,000 in taxes. You know, maybe that's a little bit better, but you're getting close. Um, so it, it's, yeah, one well, of those things. which way I don't know. Well, and and when I saw that they had started it, I was like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check this shit out. I'm gonna watch some YouTube videos and read some articles, and yeah, it just it didn't seem to be very much help. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll I'll play around with it a little bit, and I'll put some in, you know, for the next couple pay periods, and then I'll change it or whatever. And I tried yeah. that, and then I like I noticed that you know I was contributing the same percentage, but much less of that ended up in my retirement account versus my traditional 401k. And mm. then I started thinking, okay, well, is it better to have more money going in that is earning interest throughout that entire time that by the time I take it out, it's, you know, increased 
however much because I'm putting in that much more because it's not being taxed when I put it in. It's going to be taxed at the end. And yeah, it's this, it's this trade off and swapping game of, well, am I, yeah. Even if you, if you do the analysis, you make a giant spreadsheet and you calculate how much money you're putting in every year and every month of every year for the next 25, 30 years. Um, you could come up with a right answer in your situation, especially if you use a tax professional to help you. But then as soon as you calculate that, Congress changes the rule on mm-hmm. one of the bits of the tax code mm-hmm. and all the calculations you did just got fucked. So it mm-hmm. doesn't matter what you calculated. Uh, as an example, it has been thrown around that currently on a Roth IRA, you pay the tax on what you earned and what's left over goes in. And no matter how big it gets, you pay no future tax. Mm-hmm under current law. And I always tell people that and they're like, why do you, why do you keep saying that under current law? And I said, because if Congress decides at some point that gains in a Roth IRA should be taxed, at least at capital gains tax rates of 15%. And then someone would say, well, they they can't just do that. Yeah, they can. (laughs) By by vote, they made a Roth IRA. By vote, they can take it away. See, I don't like you saying that because that's where I invest most money. So I actually, well, on retirement, I'll have my government pension. Right. I'll have my TSP, and then I'm maxing out my Roth IRA every year. So, yeah. and 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 that all on the surface sounds fantastic. You're doing a great job, uh, and it's it's one of those things that often you don't have to do everything perfect. You just you don't want to suck. I mean, <laughs> there's some things like I'll have people call me, and and I get it. It's life's not easy. Life's hard, and I had many years where. I spent more than we made as a family and that's not cool. That's not cool. It never feels good. It never will. Um, and I try very hard to think back on those years when I want to go buy something because I could, something could happen and I could end up there again and I don't want to. But, mm-hmm. uh, when someone calls me and they say, I have $500, what's the best place for me to invest it? We can talk about, an expense ratio of 1% or 0.1% or whether you're going to pay tax on it or not here and there. But really, uh, that, uh, that discussion is interesting. Maybe to some people, I find it interesting, <laughs> but completely meaningless. The problem is you have 500 fucking dollars. That's yeah. what you got to fix <laughs> because uh, mm-hmm. I don't care how brilliant you are at picking stocks. Uh, if you have $500 today, um, unless a miracle happens, you're not going to have enough money to retire on. You've got to make more and save more. And that's what you have to focus on. Don't spend your time calculating IRA versus Roth IRA. Get a second fucking job. And it sucks that you might have to do that. But for the vast majority of my life, I had two and often three jobs. This is actually probably since I was like 20 or 21. Uh, the last few years here, the only time I've ever had one, just one job for a long time. Mm-hmm. So, so I've got a question kind of pursuant to that, right? Yeah. Um, that's, that's probably more geared towards millennial listeners. Um, let's suppose that you have paid your bills, right? Like, like all of your, you know, this is your monthly payment on your credit card, your student loans or what have you, right? Yeah. So if you paid your bills and let's say that you've got, you know, a thousand, two thousand, which is probably a large amount for a lot of millennials, but like you've got some cash left over, right? At the end of taking care of all of your expenses, um, and you've got the option of either an employer's 401k match or paying down student loans in excess of like what your minimum payment is, right? So you can either invest in a 401k with a potential match from an employer, or you can get ahead on paying down your student loans. 
um, you know, what would you say is the smarter uh, yeah, move I, to I, pay I down a debt or you miss the obvious other choices by Tesla? Ah. <laughs> uh, I meant Bitcoin. Um, yeah, it, it's um, it's one. It's a a very good question, and one of the things I look at is interest rates, and mm-hmm. and this is something where some people like uh, Dave Ramsey uh, see debt as a sin. Uh, except for when he filed bankruptcy twice. Um, <laughs> That's why it's a sin. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and now, well, I've asked for forgiveness, so it's all good. Mm. Um, it just depends on where can your money be more effective at increasing your long-term wealth. So if your student loan rate is 1.9%, which it's probably not, I'm just giving an extreme example. If you pay off the student loan quicker, you're saving that 2% interest payment that you're going to be charged every year, which is cool. Right. However, if you can put the money in the stock market and theoretically make eight, 10, maybe more percent per year, clearly making eight to 10 is bigger than saving the 2%. So for me, that pushes it towards more investing. In your 401k, if you're getting a match, so if you put in $500, they give you $500. Mm-hmm. That, that's something you must do first because that's 100%. So if you put in $500 and then give $500, always pick up the free money. I don't care if you have to borrow money to pick up the free money. From a mathematical standpoint, <laughs> uh, may not be good if you can't control your debt load and pay things off. But uh, getting that free match is the absolute most important thing. And then okay. you've kind of got to have, you know, if you had unsecured student loans and you refinance them and put them all together for some reason, and your current interest rate is 7.9 or 8.5%, oh man, because now I'm looking at seven to 8% savings if I pay it off or a theoretical eight to 10, if I put it in a taxable account. And clearly the eight to 10 is better than the seven to eight, but not by a lot. Yeah. And the seven to eight on the student loan is guaranteed risk-free return, essentially. So it's like if you could put money in a bond and make 8% guaranteed or the stock market maybe making 10, uh, that's mm-hmm. a tough call for me to decide, do I want to take the risk or do I want to guaranteed 8%? So you get to a point where the volatility, the ups and downs may not be as good as the sure thing. So if your student loan rates, if, if you have... Different loans, you could look at the different ones that have different rates and pay off one that's the highest first and then not any extra and then put half of that extra money that you have into retirement. It's again, one of those things that's not one quick and easy answer. Uh, there's also weird things like I was talking to one of my clients the other day that uh, their student is about to go to college. And so they're thinking they're going to be out twenty dollars to $30,000 a year to help pay for college. And they said that they're going to turn off the money that they're putting in the 401k. And I said, but you have all this money in the taxable account. And they're like, yeah, but if I just stop adding money to the 401k, my paycheck goes up. And I said, I understand. But with investments, everything you own from a financial perspective is all kind of fungible. So mm-hmm. instead of increasing your pay by 30,000 by not putting into your 401k, keep putting money in your 401k and sell some shit in your taxable account to have the $30,000. And what you've essentially done from a financial perspective is you've moved 20 or 30,000 from your taxable account 
into your tax avoiding account. Mm-hmm. So the net result is you're, you're, you're still moving your money around, but now you have more money protected from taxes going forward. And they're just like, Oh my God, I never thought of that. Or if you can get a 3% student loan, or if your student can get a 3% student loan. Yeah. Mm-hmm. These are the things that I do. Like, uh, right now when I buy a car and again, it's a weird thing for me to say this, but I'm going to say it for most people, you get a replacement car. You don't get a new car. You get a replacement car. Now, if you're making good income, if you're saving a generous amount of money towards retirement, 20%, if you're on path to make retirement when you want to retire and stop working and you still have the means to get a new car, fine. Whatever. You don't have to eat cat food and, and live with one lump of coal a day to stay warm. You can spend some of that money. But like the last car I got, I got, I put down nothing and got a 3% loan on the car. And when I'm at the dealership, they're like, do you want a 60 month loan? I'm like, can you do 84? And they're like, 84? Like, yeah, 84. Like it might be a percent higher. Okay. So the finance guy goes and works it and brings it back. And he says, is this payment low enough? I said, well, I don't, I don't give a shit what the payment is. He's like, what? I said, I could sell some stuff and pay you in cash right now, hundred percent for this vehicle. And he's like, why are you getting a loan at all? I said, because someone, some dumb fucker somewhere is saying it's okay to give Phil a $40,000 loan at 3%. I don't want to ever pay that back. I'm going to borrow $40,000 at 3% for as long as you fucking idiots will let me. And then I take that four grand and I put it in the stock market. Now the market doesn't go up every year. And so this is where I, I quote a very famous poet, uh, do or do not do. There is no try. <laughs> I'm not sure I have that right. Uh, but uh, every once in a while, someone will call me and say, okay, Phil, I've, I've listened to you. I like your ideas. Uh, let's try Let's try this for a year. And I'll say, no, fuck off. I'm not, I'm not interested in that because it might not work that year. The market might go down that year. It might go down a lot that year. But if you're always constantly getting 3% car loans, if you're always constantly, I just refinanced my house for three fucking percent. The very first time I bought a house 20 something years ago, it was like eight and a half, nine and a half percent. And if I'm paying nine and a half percent on a home loan versus making eight or nine or 10 in stocks, yeah, I'm paying that bad boy off as fast as possible. But now that I got a 3% home loan that's partially tax deductible for federal and state income taxes, nope, not a penny extra that any extra I could pay on that gets invested in the theoretical eight to 10%. 2008, that specific calendar year, that would have looked like an insanely stupid thing to do. But this year, the market's up 15% so far, fingers crossed. <laughs> Last year, it made 18.4. The year before that made 30%. So there's some years where you can make a huge amount of money on the money you borrowed at 3%. I'm, I don't even know what I'm answering now anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> This is Sarah Ponte Rivera with the Satanic Temple's Gray Faction. You can learn more about Gray Faction at grayfaction.org or find us on our social media account on Twitter and Facebook. And you are listening to the Godless Revolution. If he's not going to open his mind, then there's not a lot I can do for him. I don't know. Maybe it's too late. We're just going about this too abstract, you know? I mean, think about it like Santa Claus. You don't explain to a kid the physics of some fatso cramming his ass down seven billion chimneys in a night. No, of course not. You, you just drive him to the mall, get his picture taken with some child molester, and eat a couple of his cookies before he wakes up. Ben wants to see God. Let's show him God. 
Thank you to everybody who has rated the show on iTunes and Stitcher and are following us on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And to all our Patreon patrons, you make the show possible. I, I was just going to joke question. So uh, Bitcoin is down. Should I buy the dip? Yeah, it depends on what you mean by down. <laughs> yeah, I don't have to answer that. <laughs> well, I, it's funny. I've been, uh, I've talked about it briefly a couple times on my show, but I think it's been almost three years now. Four, three and a half years, almost four. I think it'll be four years this, this, uh, winter solstice. Uh, mm-hmm. I did my first breakdown of Bitcoin about four years ago. And I had a lot of people telling me, Phil, you should be putting 10% of all your clients' money in cryptocurrencies. Oh, no. And I was like, I, I know <laughs> that they're out there. I know that they exist, but I don't know. I don't really know. And one of my investing rules is don't invest in anything you don't understand. And yeah. I, at that point, I did not understand Bitcoin. And so, uh, you know, people say, you're going to miss the opportunity of a lifetime. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with missing the opportunity of a lifetime because sometimes that's not how it works out. Um, I believe in the tortoise and hare fable. I'm mm-hmm. the fucking tortoise, mm-hmm. man. Put oh, money yeah. in this month, put money in next month, do it smart, do it right. Don't do anything crazy. And I know as an empirical fact over the last couple hundred years, a lot of people have become rich doing it that way. The big buzzkill is it takes a long time. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have yeah. the patience, like we were joking earlier about, uh, you know, taking me more than a minute to microwave my meal, I get upset. <laughs> why, why is it ready? <laughs> God damn it. I put a minute in there. Um, oh, yeah. But, Bitcoin uh, is totally tulips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it, it, just, it is. It, uh, and I even went so far to say this is not in reference to all cryptocurrencies because I've not studied all cryptocurrencies. However, I think it applies. But specific to Bitcoin, it cannot succeed. And you're going to get emails on that. Uh, <laughs> as the code currently is written, as it functions as a process, it cannot, it cannot succeed in the long run. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is the energy demand required by the system is obscenely large. That can't continue. The number of transactions that can be certified, checked, mined, uh, hashed, whatever phrase you want to use every 10 minutes is limited. So if more people start using cryptocurrency, uh, or sorry, if more people start using Bitcoin, it can take, like it has sometimes in the past, days and days and days for your transaction to clear, to know what you've actually paid for what you bought. And of course, very famous story uh, when Bitcoin was pennies, someone bought a pizza with it. And of mm-hmm. course, that's a multi-million dollar pizza now. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I'm if I if I'm bullish on Bitcoin and I think it's gonna go up, am I ever gonna buy anything with Bitcoin? Fuck no. no. That'd be stupid. So as a currency, it doesn't function because I'm never gonna use it. If I'm a person selling pizza and I'm concerned that Bitcoin might go down and it might take me three days to clear the transaction to know how much I got from you for for delivering this pizza to you. And the price might fall by half in a few days. Do I want to accept Bitcoin for the pizza? No, I don't because now I'm not in the pizza business anymore. I'm in the cryptocurrency business. Uh, So the energy demand, the the delay in processing, uh, it all makes it not... Now, it's not scalable. It's inversely scalable. So the bigger it gets, the worse it is. And then, of course, on top of all of that, and I think we're seeing this roll out in China right now, 
and I, I've had this position for years, once, let's say Bitcoin, once Bitcoin gets to the point where it can start to threaten international currencies like the dollar or the yen, it will get crushed. I mean, I mean if you think yeah. you can hide from the government, and let's pretend for a moment that you're right, which you're not, uh, the government will change that because one of the things that makes the U.S. dollar a U.S. dollar, which people use in a derogatory manner, fiat currency, uh, is that they can collect taxes in dollars. That requires you somehow to make dollars. You have to get dollars to pay the taxes and everything that's denominated in dollars. And that keeps the power in the government, which I think is where it should be. I don't want it to be a randomly unknown small handful of whales that happen to own, own large amounts of Bitcoin and their mood today is to buy or sell controlling my, my future. I, I'll take my chances with my government. As scary as that may be, I think that's better. Um, but China now is closing mining operations because of the energy usage and they're closing mining operations. They're closing uh, trading locations because they're concerned at some point Bitcoin might be powerful enough to challenge their currency and that's just not going to fucking happen. Well, we know what China does when anyone challenges their power. There is no limit to what they'll do to prevent that from growing and getting energy. So uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, when they get too big, if they ever get to that point, they will be crushed globally. I'm, so. I'm more worried now about um, Chinese cutouts uh, attacking our show than uh, cryptocurrency fans. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you for the double whammy there. <laughs> well, I was still mad. I didn't put some money in it when it was $500 when someone told me, you should put a little bit of money into this when it was $500. And I was like, well, I could have sold it when it was 30 and I could have made, but I didn't know. And yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah, well, yeah. It's hindsight. Yeah, you can't make decisions. Yeah. Yeah, at the time I was like 500. I'm like, that's a lot to just throw into this unknown to buy oh. a Bitcoin Gosh. for 500 bucks. Is that is that the right application of um, Black Swan event or Black Swan theory? Um, or am I misunderstanding that? No, no, I, I, I think Black Swan can be applied to anything. It's when something extreme and dramatic, usually negative, happens out of the blue. Mm -hmm. um, like... Uh, you're investing in, uh, you know, all these stocks and whoops, pandemic starts. Mm -hmm. and it's hard for a lot of companies to make money when no one goes out, when no one shops. So last March of 2020 was probably the most recent black swan type of an event where you could not plan for that. You could not mm -hmm. see that coming. I mean, maybe you could know there's a pandemic theoretically possible unless your name's Donald Trump. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, when it's going to happen, how extreme it's going to be, you can't really plan for that. With a cryptocurrency, you can look at it and go, I either don't know what I'm doing or they don't know what they're doing. Or you can convince yourself, like I have convinced myself, that it's bullshit. And, and I know it's coming. It's just, I don't know when. And it went from uh, when I did my show, I, th I think I did my show two or three days within the peak of when it was $20,000. And uh, six months later, it was $5,000. Now, of course, since then, and I've had people throw it in my face and I don't care, whatever. <laughs> it went from $5,000 to $60,000 in three years. Well, of course, 60, 62, 64, whatever the peak was. And a couple of days ago, it was below 30 again. So, you know, you can pick and choose 
a historical time reference to show how how good it is or how bad it is. I could play that game too. Um, the question is, what's it going to do in the future? And you know, if uh, if a guy who can launch his car into space can affect the value of your currency by a tweet, yeah. you've got a serious fucking problem. <laughs> so, yeah, no on crypto. And actually, I want to clarify because people will mistake my uh, my slights at Tesla. Um, I think <laughs> Tesla is a fine car. It's not a quality car, um, but it's a fine car with really awesome technology in it. The problem I have is the price point of Tesla oh, yeah. gears because Tesla is currently worth more than the top 20 global auto manufacturers all added up. And that's crazy. That's crazy. That can't be right. So I was going to try to intersect a little bit of the finance with the skepticism and atheism. Yep. So what do you see out there that where you're like, people are getting into it, but it's just kind of like uh, the, you know, the sub John Oliver was just talking about. Not exactly that, but like the the charlatans out there that try to get you to invest money into certain things like fucking Amway. Yeah, I, I think one of the nice things is that uh, atheists are disorganized enough that no one's trying to carte blanche rip us all off. <laughs> we're not conveniently located in one building on a Sunday morning where they can go and pick you off. Um, so that's nice. But so you'll just get the, the regular scams, which there are endless. I've been doing this show since I think 16, 15, 2015. Um, and I had two shows before that. So I've been doing stuff like this for God, 10, or 10 plus years. And my biggest concern when I made my show is I had eventually run out of scams to talk about. <laughs> I was wrong. <laughs> there's, there's always another scam or there's something that I thought died and went away and went in the right fucking mind would put money in it that comes back. Um, just briefly, uh, uh, master limited partnerships, a complete total ripoff. You're going to get fucked. Don't buy them. If you want to hear all the details, go to the Phil Ferguson show. <laughs> uh, there's also a thing where you can buy REITs, which are a perfectly reasonable investment, but you can get a private placement REIT. And uh, one of them that's on Facebook and Twitter and social media everywhere now is called Fundrise. And I've talked about them and some other specific companies. I've done segments on those. There is a possibility that you can make money in a private placement read. It can happen. I actually had one of my clients made money. But I, um, my clients, I've got all of my investments tied up in um, avocado toast. Um, <laughs> can you give me the tweet length version of what a REIT is? Yeah. Uh, REIT is Real Estate Investment Trust. Mm-hmm. Of course. Even oh, if I think I listened to your episode on that one. And then like they, they'll take all your money and then they hope that the real estate investment will like mature into a certain property value over time, but they basically just leave you hanging at the end of the so, term. So what is theoretically possible is that a company is in good faith collecting large amounts of money, millions, tens of millions, hundreds of millions of dollars, because they want to start building apartment complexes and they mm-hmm. need more money to build it. So the first thing, of course, is Who's taking the financial risk? You are. Mm-hmm. Who might get more of the profit if it wins? Them. They are. I mean, it's designed from the very beginning to be better for them than you. That's why they're coming to you because who the fuck are you? <laughs> they, they, they came to you and want 100000 from you to build this multi-million dollar complex. 
you're not special. You're not magical. Uh, mm -hmm. They're checking anybody and everybody and, and whoever they can get money out of. Some companies, and I'm not going to name any names specifically here, but some companies, what they'll do is they're going to buy this land. Well, the organization that owns that land is another company that they own. And so are they paying the lowest price with your money for that land? Maybe, maybe not. And then they've got to clear the land and they have a company that does that. Oh, they own that company as well. Um, then they have to build all the apartment buildings, assuming they're following all the codes and everything. They might have interests in different kinds of companies, construction, contractor, companies that then do all the building. And so did they get the most lowest, best competitive bid on the construction cost? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, when they want to sell them, they own a real estate company that works on the transactions to sell all the properties. If you want to rent them, they control the rental company. If there's any maintenance that needs to be done, if there's plumbing that needs to be done, you get the idea. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. I feel they, like they, we need to look into whether the more or how the Mormon church is doing this with all their temples. I, that oh, was exactly oh, my thought. Like this sounds like what I'm the LDS sure. church does. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's a it's a classic uh, it's a classic way of doing business. Not a, not a ethical way. It's a classic way of doing business. Uh, just like I have found uh, many years ago, before she passed away, my mom was giving ten dollars a month to some charity to support Indians because Native Americans, Native American Indians, um, because our family has some lineage there. And this one organization we found out that she was giving money to, they're, what would I call it? They're a, a fundraising aggregator. And so if they collect $10 million uh, by law to call themselves a charity, they have to make sure that at least 15% of that money passes through to some other charity. Yes, that's right. 15%. Yeah. They were actually good because they only kept 30. They only, uh, they were able to pass through 30%. Oh, 70% so of all the money that they collected went to mailings of junk mail, solicitation calls, employees, wages. And of course, the owner and his brother and his sister in law and his brother in law and his five kids and grandma. Uh, and they're all making $250,000 salaries and they're making all this money. And then 30% of it goes to, I guess what I'll say is a legitimate charity, which might have its own 15, 20, 30% overhead. And so, you know, I would show that to my mom and, and she'd be like, okay, well, I'll stop giving them $10. But there was a bunch of them. So I was trying to do them one at a time. <laughs> and there was another one where it was actually a, a school, elementary school for Native Americans in the Dakotas. And I was showing her how the organization that ran this school was sitting on $20 million of cash and then pinching 10 bucks out of my mom because these kids couldn't afford shoes or pencils or paper. So they're asking, they're begging, they're pleading for her to send $10 so they could, they could buy some paper, a pen for this kid. I'm like, but you have $20 million. And then she still felt bad enough that she wanted to keep sending the uh, 10 or so dollars every month until I informed her that the organization running this was the Catholic church. Mm. Uh, and I didn't know this until she, boy, she, I don't think I've ever heard her swear before. <laughs> <laughs> she had some words against the Catholic church, which I was delighted to hear. Uh, but, uh, uh, that was, that was the deal breaker. 
I, if I had just said, by the way, this was run by the Catholic Church, she would have stopped right there. I wouldn't have had, had any details, but I was hoping to show her the math that, you know, this organization sitting on $20 million of cash and running this school for, for poor kids. So uh, often a phrase I hear, and I think it's very, very accurate. It's very expensive to be poor. Mm-hmm. Very yeah. expensive to be poor. Yeah. And here's an organization with millions and millions of dollars in in just this school trust. I'm not talking about the whole Catholic church. They got billions and trillions of dollars, yeah. mountains of gold. I mean, they're like one step away from Smaug. Uh, <laughs> they need a fucking dragon. Um, <laughs> but, you know, the they're, they're using these little uh, kids that are impoverished as, um, as the bait, I guess, for a big fish to come donate money. I, it makes me think of some of the third world countries where the bad people, whoever they are, might actually hurt children, like yeah. cut off fingers or like, blind them. Like Slumdog Millionaire. Yes. So that they become better beggars because it makes the person running the, the game wealthy. That's all. It's all fucked up. I don't <laughs> even know where we started with that, but dude, oh my God. Dude, the LDS yeah, so church has, yeah, the LDS church has over a hundred billion dollars in assets and still requires its members to give 10% yes. every month, every year requires missionaries to pay their own way to go out into the mission field for the church. They, they require uh, service work from all of their members to work in the churches and temples for free. <laughs> and they have over a hundred billion dollars that they're fucking sitting on. Yeah. I, I did a segment on that a while back on the um, Phil Ferguson show. Um, <laughs> it, it's staggering. And I think the hundred billion dollars, this was only one of their money managers. Yeah. So they probably have yes. more, uh-huh. but there's an organization. We used to live in uh, Danville, Illinois in Vermilion County. The single largest landowner in Vermilion County is uh, the Mormon church, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't yep. know why, yep. uh, maybe because it's cheap, but every time the city or the county want to try to develop something like a, a area for warehousing or manufacturing, they can never get together a big enough chunk of land without eminent domain. And of course the church steps in and says, if you fuckers try eminent domain on us, we're going to hire so many fucking attorneys and so many lawyers that there won't be a trucking industry by the time this resolves its way through court. And we're and going so to the, make this a religious issue and you're trampling yeah. on our religious rights and freedoms. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And we're going to make sure it's in the media and uh, we'll have, we have our attorneys and we're, we're professionals at doing this. Uh, and they're like, so the land's not for sale. Oh, we didn't say that, <laughs> but you can't take it via eminent domain and a reasonable price. You have to pay us 10 times what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the LDS church owns the largest cattle ranch uh, in the United States. I thought that was down in Florida. If I'm, could be. It's going to be. Give it correctly. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, <laughs> but I mean, they they get away. So they always say so, oh, we I'm have sorry. a for profit and a non for profit side of the church. Yeah. But it's how do you how do you keep that money separate when you got a certain chunk you don't even file an IRS claim on? There's they don't even look at that side of it to see how much money's coming in or where it's sitting. So it's, it's almost like it's the perfect way for them to just embezzle all their profits. I was talking about earlier where your personal income is fungible. Um, The Mormons and every other big religious organization, the money is fungible when, when they raise money for this charity or this uh, outreach, come on, let's all be adults about this. It doesn't really go there. Even when you put it 
on your uh, your contribution. I'm giving $100 and it goes for this. They cash that $100 and they put it in the general account. Maybe, maybe they earmark that $100 for the thing that you said, but then they go take $100 out of the thing that you just put your $100 in. So it's all a fucking game. Even like uh, mm-hmm. state lotteries, the state of Illinois heavily promotes the lotto uh, that, uh, you know, all of the money goes to education. Yeah, it does. They put $300 million from Lotto into the education fund. And then they take 300 million out and put it back in the general fund. So the net effect is zero, even though the money practically goes there. Yeah. My brother is a school teacher in Chicago. So I think he would uh, agree with your statement. (laughs) And I don't know if it's this way in other states. I only recently learned this because when I grew up, uh, school districts were a pretty big thing. Um, you know, it's from kindergarten, elementary, junior high, middle school, whatever, high school. It covers a, a good area. There might be five elementary schools and two middle schools and one big high school. And it's kind of got some oversight and well run. I have since learned that you can have a middle school that is its own school district. Hmm. And it has its own board. And these people are maybe a little bit power hungry um, because around us, and of course, again, uh, most school costs are covered by property taxes. So we have by us an elementary school that its zone, its range of influence, its, its boundaries is all really poor housing. I mean, the people that live there make very little money. And mm-hmm. anyone that has real money is not going to move there because it's a $60,000 house surrounded by sixty other $60,000 houses. So no one with any money is ever going to move there. And so they collect property tax to pay for the school. Well, the school is crumbling, doesn't, doesn't work right. The electricity goes out. They have like one computer for 500 kids to share. Uh, the roof leaks, so they put buckets under it. It's absolutely pathetic. Two miles down the street is another small school district that happened to be in the right place next to one of the world's largest land, uh, what are they called? Docks, land docks, courtyards, uh, uh, port, land port. port. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, one of the world's largest land ports is just a few miles from me. And so they're building warehouses and truck distribution centers and cross docks like crazy. And the land prices have gone up and this school happened to be in the middle of fucking nowhere until it wasn't. And now they got paid a fortune for their land and they took that money and a mile away built a new school. Every kid gets a computer. There's monitors and giant screens in every room. It's all 5G and super high-speed Wi-Fi, even faster than Ryan's. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's like a magical paradise. I mean, you can have a kid go to this school and if he lived one block away, would go to the school that's catching raindrops with buckets. That's fucked up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and how does it ever get fixed? Because each person acting as their own individual agent in their, for their own best interest. When I go look at a school district and I've got a couple little kids, Susie and Timmy, and I go look at the one school, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah, but the houses here are $60,000. How much of the house is over there? They're one fifty. I'll find a way. <laughs> yeah. I'll find a yeah. way to pay 150 because my kids aren't going to that school. And so then it becomes entrenched and um, mm-hmm. it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy kind of thing. And, and it's, it's heartbreaking that all those kids are basically screwed over someone playing a money game or finance or control. Um, anyway, 
really big side yeah. there. Mm. No, I mean, like that, that's actually something I've been hemming and hawing on for a while. When, when I was on your show, I talked about how, like, because I've moved around so much for work and because Sandra and I, like our, our life right now is to where we don't know where we're going to try and settle down. Um, but we will not, cannot, do not want children. Right. Um, I've heard have them, don't want them. <laughs> yeah. Um, believe it or not. Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so for us, the thing is like, I don't give a shit what school district I'm in. Like it, it means absolutely nothing to me except that property value. I was just going right? to, I've had I people tell me that. Of, yeah. yeah. I can talk you out of that in a few yeah. seconds. Yeah. You just, you already figured it out. Yep. Yeah. It's, it's so not for me. It's like, shit, I have to give these considerations as to like yeah. what fucking high school is near my home when I'll never send a kid to it because I'll, I'll be worried about reselling my home sometime down the line. Yeah. yeah. It, it's, it's a staggeringly important thing. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know how you fix it, but uh, yeah. you know, yeah. one way to fix it is to not fund schools by property tax so that right. everyone pays into it. And the school that's in the poor area gets same dollars per kid as the school yeah. in the rich area. But then of course, humans are going to fuck with that. Um, yeah. like we have uh, in Illinois, I don't know if this is everywhere, but in Illinois, they have a thing called title nine, which means that the uh, girls sports have to get the same money as boys. Mm-hmm. sports. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so we, we used to live in a small town where uh, high school football was everything, mm-hmm. right? And so there was a big problem there because you know it's got a big it's got a big field and stands and and there's a lot of infrastructure that goes into that that doesn't go into um, soccer, sure, sure, yeah. soccer or cheerleading or uh, tennis or something like that. And so how do you get around that? Well, that's easy. The school pays next to nothing for football and it pays next to nothing for cheerleading. And then there's the booster club mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or some other uh, parents who love football club and they get everybody involved and they sell candy. They sell uh, whatever they sell magazine subscriptions, yeah. coupon and books and shit like donations. Yeah. And then they say, Oh, we're doing a $50,000 fundraiser to uh, put in better lights on the field. What? But the school's not paying for it. Uh, the the club is it's like what it's still not fair even though yeah. it's fair yeah. I, um, when my daughter went to uh, high school I don't, I don't think she'll listen to the show um, <laughs> her her freshman year she was a cheerleader for the basketball team and I, I have issues with cheerleading on my own just because it's inherently unfair because you're cheering someone else to succeed I know they do their own routines and stuff Whatever. I'm going to get myself in so much trouble. <laughs> anyway, the first basketball game, we go and we watch it. And yay, it's a nice basketball game. Our team wins. Yay. And when it's over, I find my daughter. I'm like, okay, let's go. And she's like, I can't leave yet. I'm like, what do you mean you can't leave yet? The game's over. And she goes, we have to clean up the bleachers. Oh. And I'm like, wait, I, I, I must have misheard that. And she's like, dad, don't. <laughs> <laughs> she knows what's about to fucking happen and she's like oh man don't 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 this is what this is what they do i'm i'm a freshman i'm lucky to be on the, the squad at all give me like 30 minutes and i'm like oh my god oh my okay <laughs> i must have misunderstood this right and so when she's done we're getting, driving back to the house. I'm like, okay, walk me through what you guys had to do. And she's like, we go through the bleachers and we pick up popcorn and we sweep up popcorn and spilled 
corn dogs and hot dogs and wipe up ketchup and do all this stuff. And I was like, so you're like the janitor. Yeah. I, I love janitors, by the way, because I like places to be clean when I go there. Uh, but I don't want my daughter to be the janitor of the, uh, the gym in the school. And I said, what happens if you guys don't clean this up? And she goes, well, the janitor's coming after us and actually really clean up. I go, were the boys helping? And she's like, dad. No. Don't be silly. <laughs> yeah. It was, she, she already knew that was, that was a no. Yeah. We live in a patriarchy. And, and so I was like, okay, well, this is, this is not going to fly. She's like, no, dad, no. <laughs> <laughs> I'm begging you, please, like, dad, no. Yeah. I was like, okay, you know what? You're the one cleaning up the trash, not me. Um, you just let me know if your opinion changes. You know, I'm here for you. I, I think this is wrong and you know it is wrong. And she's like, okay. So a couple more games go by and she comes to me and she's like, all right, I don't want to do this anymore. What do we do? And I said, well, here's what we can do. And she says, can I start by talking to the cheerleading coaches first? I was like, oh, yes, yes. I, I'm very big for the chain of command. It's there for a reason. And maybe the coaches can solve it. I said, yes, yes. Uh, talk, talk to the coaches. And uh, so a couple of days later, she comes home from practice. And I said, did you talk to the coaches? She said, yeah. And, and I said, you told them why you didn't like it and why you don't think the girls should be picking up trash for everybody else. And she's like, yeah, we told them. I said, what'd they say? And she said, well, that's just, that's just how it's been. That's just, that's how it's done. And I said, uh, all right, what, what do you think of that answer? She's like, total bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, what, what do you want to do next? Nothing. I mean, I, and she's like, could you talk to my coaches? And I said, sure. So a couple practices go by. I come in to pick up uh, my daughter and I asked the two coaches who I had a really hard time distinguishing them between the high school students. Mm because they're like one or two years out, three years out of high school. So mm. I'm really ancient, so I can't tell. Um, <laughs> and I said, uh, can, I, can I talk to you guys for a minute? And I had this beautiful spiel and I went through the logic. I went through Title IX, by the way, which we talked about earlier. I go through all this stuff and they smile, and they nod, and they smile and they nod. And when I'm done, they said, uh, thank you very much for your input. Uh, we'll take that under advisement. We'll give that all the consideration uh, we feel it deserves. <laughs> right. And so I said, uh, this is Tuesday. Uh, would next Tuesday be fine? And they're like, next Tuesday for what? And I said, well, if you're going to give it proper consideration, which is what you just indicated to me, that means you're going to contemplate and consider all the things that I told you. And you're going to make a decision whether to continue this farce <laughs> or do what's in the best interest of these young ladies. Uh, I'll be back next Tuesday. And they just fucking stared at me because they feel like they're in a bear trap. They, they don't know what to say and how to respond. They, they did everything right. They, they smiled. They listened. They, they were going to consider it. And then all of a sudden I throw this wrench in the works and they don't know what the fuck to do. Uh, so the next day I get an email from the school principal. <laughs> because nice. we were thinking the coaches and then like the head coach or the athletic director and then the vice president or the vice principal and then the principal because uh, we're going to follow the chain of command well somehow this got escalated all the way to the principal within you know eight hours overnight <laughs> and the next day i get an email and it's this long ass email about how it's tradition and oh. team spirit and it's team building blah 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 
And so, so why aren't the boys doing it? Yeah. 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 Like, you know, fair is fair. If you, if you want all the kids in high school to pick up trash on a regular basis, I'm, I might be talked into it. Um, you know, to, to show respect yeah. for our environment. Yeah. Japan so, style. Yeah. Uh, a couple of days later, I think maybe on the Monday, I got to the school as soon as they opened the, unlocked the first door for the first administrator to come in. And I said, I'm there to see the principal. And they're like, do you have an appointment? I said, nope. And I sat down in the outer office of the school office, or the outer room of the school office, and said, I'm going to talk to him when he comes in. And so he comes in and the uh, lady says, uh, he's, he's booked up this morning. And I said, I got my day clear. I'm standing here. I'm sitting here the whole day. We're going to talk. And then like 10 minutes later, he's like, come on in. <laughs> and he's like, I explained all this to you in the email. And I said, uh, I'll be as polite as I can, but that was a big pile of horse shit, dude. That, that's not going to fly. <laughs> this is going to end. The question is, are you going to end it easily or is it going to be difficult? And he's like, what do you mean difficult? And I said, well, I'm, I'm thinking the school board is the, uh, the next place I go. And then um, probably the media. Uh, and I've already talked to my attorney and he's ready to go into the local courts and then we'll escalate it to state and circuit and Supreme courts if necessary. And, uh, hopefully by the time my daughter gets out of high school, we'll have this resolved. And, uh, you'll probably end up paying all of my attorney fees when it's done, because what you're doing is patently illegal. And I think we can show that. And he's like, okay, well, thanks for coming in. And you know, he's probably thinking to himself, Wow. What am I going to do with this guy? Well, an hour later, he gets a phone call from another parent going over all of my talking points because we had meetings. <laughs> so he gets a phone call going over all the same stuff. Um, then he gets an email from a third parent going over all the same stuff. And before he got to go home at the end of the day, he got a certified letter that he had to sign for from another parent's attorney. Ooh. And so this is day one. <laughs> Welcome to day and one so, of the rest of your life until this shit is fixed. Uh, yeah. So the next morning, uh, we all got an email and was sent to every single student, every single parent, every faculty, staff member, uh, everyone's cat and dog uh, that said that uh, the girls would no longer clean up trash after the basketball games. And if he had just had like that sentence, it would have been fine. Uh oh, oh but he boy. couldn't stop himself. He went on for three paragraphs explaining why it wasn't a problem. Uh, he couldn't explain why, if it wasn't the problem, he stopped it because I know why he stopped it. Because after getting four points of contact, he probably con he probably called the um, the president of the school board, and they got the attorney involved. And the attorney was like, "You did what? You said what? Who? Well, it's tradition. No, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're you're you okay? I'm going to help you write an email. It's going to be just a couple lines." And you're going to send us to every fucking email address we have ever had. <laughs> I don't care if they graduated 50 years ago. Right. Uh, and they didn't have email. Uh, but then he was going on all these reasons why it really wasn't a problem and shouldn't be canceled. And first I was kind of pissed off that he went on in these three paragraphs because he'd lost. I couldn't, why couldn't he just accept that he lost? But then it hit me that he doesn't want to do this. He didn't want to do it. And we made him do it. And so now I know that I got his ass. I, <laughs> I own him. And if I ever want anything else to change, I know what to do. I'll just lather, rinse, and repeat. And the same result will happen. And I thought of, um, oh, the, 
the movies about the animals and that become alive in the museum, Night at the Smithsonian, oh. something like that. Yeah, Night at the Museum. Night at the museum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Night, Night at the Museum. And I, I couldn't help but think of um, Jedediah's impotent rage <laughs> <laughs> because this guy had to be so over the top pissed off, but there was fucking nothing he could do about it. <laughs> um, and so after this is all done, a week later, uh, my daughter came and said that uh, all of the girls think I'm the greatest dad ever <laughs> allowing them to stop picking up trash. I know that was a long fucking story. Sorry, but uh, I, I thought it was a good one. No, no that's fantastic. That, that kind of, that kind of like professional revenge is just amazing. <laughs> I love those stories. My name is Dr. Karen Garst. I am the author of women beyond belief, discovering life without religion. I also have a blog at www.faithlessfeminist.com. You can find me on Facebook at Faithless Feminist and Twitter. I'm at Karen underscore Garst. And you are listening to the Godless Revolution. All right, Ben. Sometimes a higher being doesn't always present itself to you in a church or a sunset. A spiritual experience can find you when you least expect it. Now, for me... It was the string cheese incident, Red Rocks, 96. They played for seven straight hours in 108 degree heat, a set so divine and filled with love that your little mind couldn't possibly grasp it through mere description. Luckily, big old Jimbo bootlegged it. It doesn't sound very good. Yeah, I mean, the speakers aren't great, you know? You need a woofer to really capture the essence of their sound. Some ketamine would help, too. Okay, you know what? When the glockenspiel comes in, you're really going to understand. No offense, but if this is God, I don't think I'm a fan. Yeah, that went well. If you have questions, comments, concerns, compliments, corrections, criticisms, or concepts for content, contact the show via email at godlessrevolution at gmail.com, by text or voicemail at 330-81-REBEL, or Twitter the twatter at TGR Podcast. Thank you. We're running low on time, but I know that we had some questions uh, from yeah, a few of our listeners that they I'm wanted that they wanted us to pose to you. I think Taylor's yes. got those. Yeah. Um, so one of them you actually covered um, either on purpose, very subtly, or, or on accident, <laughs> very convenient. Um, and I'm going to assume the the former because I know that you're clever like that. Um, yeah. So you had asked about non-deductible IRAs versus backdoor Roths. And, and it sounds like there's an episode for him where you talked about the different forms of, uh, of investing in those. Do you happen to know what episode that was? Oh God. Um, no. Or is that something we can put in uh, the show <laughs> uh, notes maybe? Cause the, I don't want you to have to retread ground. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The um, one that covers IRAs versus Roth versus taxable account versus 401k that, that was in the last couple of weeks. Okay. So, so what any good podcast player that they download the last 25 episodes, they'll find it. Um, okay. But the one thing that I didn't cover in that specific episode is the backdoor Roth. And so really mm -hmm. quickly, I want to cover the backdoor Roth. So if you make too much money, you can't put anything into a deductible IRA and get the tax deduction. Yep. So then, and that's what he was speaking to. Yeah. Yep, yep. And then so the next level for an even higher amount of income, you could still put money into a Roth. And I'm going to turn here and look at my uh, chart here one second. Mm-hmm. That starts to phase out at like $198,000 of modified adjusted gross income. Okay. Whatever that is, ask your accountant. Um, <laughs> but there are people, luckily for them, 
that combined make over $200,000 and they can no longer qualify to put money into a Roth IRA either. Now, they weren't going to get any tax savings, but they can't even do it. And if you do it, IRS is going to fuck you up. So don't do that. But now you can go back to the traditional IRA, which is often called the deductible traditional IRA, and you can put money in there, but not deduct it. So now you're making a non-deductible contribution in a traditional IRA account. Mm -hmm. And then you immediately recharacterize that money from your IRA into your Roth IRA. And voila, even though you don't qualify for a Roth IRA, you've used this back door, which means so many different things in context. Um, <laughs> now have a back door Roth IRA where you didn't qualify to do a Roth, but, but you ended up with the money in the Roth. Now, warning, warning, I'm serious. You need to double check on this because it will fuck you up if you do this wrong. If you already have money in an IRA, let's say $100,000, and you add $5,000 to your deductible IRA, that's not deductible. So you have $100,000 deductible and $5,000 non-deductible. And no, opening a separate account in a separate company in a separate location doesn't fucking help because the IRS doesn't give a shit because to them, it's also all fungible. You have $100,000 of deductible IRA money. You add $5,000 of non-deductible IRA money. When you go to move $5,000 from your IRA to your Roth, 95% of it will be deductible money and 5% of it will be non-deductible money. So you don't get to move the 5,000 that you just put in. You move 5,000 of the total at a blended rate based on what part is deductible and non-deductible. So if you already have IRAs, I strongly consider you to not fucking do this. <laughs> but if you have IRAs and you only have Roth IRAs and then you tapped out and you can't uh, do it anymore, check with your tax professional. And I even do this with clients. We'll go over in painful detail how you can get screwed by messing this up. And I'll say, I, I will never ever help anyone set up a backdoor Roth IRA unless you have your personal tax accountant talk to me. Because I want to make for sure that they know what the fuck we're talking about. Because I don't want to hear a year from now when you've got a $3,000 tax bill because you over-contributed that you're going to have to pay it. And go, whoa, you didn't tell me about this. Yes, I did. <laughs> That's why we talked mm -hmm. about it. That's why it's in an email. That's the backdoor Roth RA. A great opportunity for a very, very rare number of people. Gotcha. Uh -huh. That was fantastic financial information, but not advice. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, the opinions you hear are not investment advice. They're ideas for entertainment purposes only. Uh, yeah. What else you got, Taylor? Uh, so the last question I have um, also from listener Ted Sellen is, um, and, and you kind of indicated pre-show that you had a fun story for this. Um, have you run into any downsides for owning an electric vehicle? Do you think it's possible uh -huh. to have only all electric vehicles, or do you need a gas vehicle for backup? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there are downsides, definitely. And, and I love it because I'm such an avid promoter of solar panels, batteries, battery cars. Um, yes. So for me, it's really easy to pull up my car next to my house, and I paid an electrician to put in a fancy outlet, and I run the connector. And I plug in my car at really cheap, comically cheap rates. It costs me 60 cents to drive 40 miles, 60 cents of energy to drive 40 miles. It's fantastic. And I recommend it for everyone. However, if you're in a big city or even a small city, if you're in an apartment, you don't have a garage. It's not your property. Um, even if they let you hire an electrician, how are you going to get all that done? 
you might be able to, you might not be able to. Uh, the state of Illinois, where I live, has a new law that's, I don't know that it's passed yet, but it's supposed to pass and get signed that prohibits uh, apartment owners or condo associations from blocking you, uh, preventing you from putting in a connector to put charge an electric car. They have to allow you to do it in the same way they have to allow you to do any other modifications to the building. So it doesn't mean mm-hmm. it's still, it, it, it can't have special rules. So it still may or may not be allowed depending on the rules, but it's not specific to electric charging. Of course, the problem is that when you leave, it becomes their property, mm-hmm. right? So now they can let anybody use it. Uh, and you also have to pay for the electricity. So you have to have some kind of device or a separate meter to track all that, which pushes up the costs. You might have to have a separate electrical account. So it gets problematic. Another thing that's a big problem with electric cars, especially if you live anywhere that has a winter, range falls like a fucking rock. Mm. But just be aware if your car, my 2019 Chevy Bolt EV is rated 240 miles. If I'm driving in beautiful weather, no AC, no no heater, no air conditioning, uh, surface streets, I can get 300 miles on charge. It's absolutely miraculous. However, I go out when it's five degrees Fahrenheit and I didn't put on enough layers and I actually want to heat the cabin of the car. I might push the mileage down to 150. Oh, wow. If, if I'm driving fast and using the heater. Now I'm a weird fuck. So I play games with this shit. <laughs> I have layers on and my coat and there's a seat heater and there's a steering wheel heater, which by the way, a steering wheel heater, if you live somewhere cold, they're magical. Oh is, yeah. Is the single best upgrade you could ever pay for in a car. Oh, yeah. Next to nothing and fucking magic. The other thing I did is I have these giant ski gloves for when it gets cold, but you can't steer. <laughs> I mean, ski gloves are the gloves that go, it goes over the mitten part and, you know, keep your hands warm, even if you're skiing and you can flip the part back and have your fingers out. But underneath that, I will wear silk gloves. Mm-hmm because hmm. I can take off the ski glove and hold the heated steering wheel and feel the heat coming through the steering wheel without my hands freezing from the fact that it's 55 degrees in my car. <laughs> and, and that's only at the beginning because it was in the garage. It gets colder. Um, so range in the cold is a problem. Uh, charging rate is a problem. For most people, most of the time, like a daily commuter, it is fucking magic. It is, it is the best thing you could ever spend money on in your life. And I don't, you don't even have to spend $80,000 on a car to get these features. You can do it for 30 or 40. If you're willing to buy a used car, some, uh, Leafs and old bolts, you might be able to get them for under $15,000. So the amount of money you save on energy and repair costs, it might literally pay for itself and most other cars won't. Um, so there's that opportunity. Uh, another serious problem again in cold weather the battery packs stay warm and they like to stay warm. Whether it's plugged in or not, it may actually turn on and generate heat to keep the battery pack warm because the battery Mm -hmm. pack gets too cold, you lose too much efficiency. That will attract animals. (gasps) So uh, if it's five degrees outside, but up on top of your battery pack, it's 35 or 40, that's magic to a mouse or a mole or a vole or a squirrel or whatever. So that can be a big problem. It can happen with any car, but this is a higher propensity. So if it's it's outside all the time, you got to keep an eye on for that. 
in general, a lot of cars for a few years now, they've been using soy-based uh, wire coatings, which mm. apparently mice love the taste of. So oh. chew the fuck out of your car. So that's with any car, by the way. If, if it's outside, so I have to do something about that. Uh, charging times. Again, if you're charging at home overnight, uh, the joke answer I give people and they say, how long does it take to charge your car? It's seven seconds. I pull it in the garage. I grab the handle. I plug it in. I go inside and I go to bed. Right? Seven seconds. Mm-hmm. On long distance drives, the charging time can be a bit of a buzzkill, depending on how far you're going and how frequently you're doing it. For me, for my car, 300 to 400 miles in a day is kind of a reasonable range limit for me because that might require me to spend 30, 40, 60 minutes, 70 minutes charging along the way. And that starts to add to your time. If you yeah. can conveniently uh, do that when you re- uh, arrive at a fast food restaurant, you know, and you eat your double Whopper <laughs> while you're charging, you know, it doesn't really cost you a ton of time, but it can add up and, and be a bit of a pain. Um, you also have to watch elevation changes. So if you're going only uphill, your range will be way shorter. If you're going only downhill, it'll be way longer. Things that, you, that do affect the gasoline powered vehicle, but you normally don't ever think about because it's so easy to stop for five or 10 minutes and put in a bunch of gas. Hmm. Um, the overall cost to maintain is a lot lower. The cost to put energy for most Americans is a lot lower. Um, the lifespan is expected to be higher. Oh, uh, with my car in specific, to be fair, there's a, an increased enhanced fire risk. Hmm. So there is huh. currently a recall on my 2019 Chevy Bolt EV where GM has suggested that you do not charge it unattended. Uh, oh. <laughs> leave it plugged in overnight. Uh-huh. Do not leave it near anything else that's flammable like a car or a tree or, or your house. house. <laughs> Don't leave your car next to your car. <laughs> and so that's kind of a buzzkill, but they, they now have said that they think they know what the problem is. And soon I will be taking my car in for a big battery and inspection and they will replace the parts they think are causing the fire. We've already done this once. So now their credibility is considerably lower. Um, It's it's not like a low speed rear end collision, is it? Yeah, no, no, not that it's uh, it's actually the conditions are normally uh, uh, caused by almost virtually draining your battery and then charging it to hundred percent in one, in one go. Hmm. And it doesn't seem to matter whether it's a high speed or a low speed charging. Um, you'll have to know when you can connect, where you can connect. And even with a Tesla, which has the best charging network currently, but they're falling behind. I don't know if they're going to become the next beta as far as a charging network, but only Tesla is building Tesla charging locations. There are dozens and dozens of companies that are building charging locations currently. And collectively, all of them are building more charging connections than Tesla is. So while Tesla has more charging towers right now, they are currently behind in the number of charging locations. I have a question for you on that. Yeah, talk to me. So I remember that they made a big deal, big press release, you know, Bonanza, a few years back about how they were opening up their charging like schematics to be open source so that anyone could use them. Has, has the rest of the market used them or is it still a whole bunch of different proprietary plugs? So 
there's a couple different things mixed in there. And I can tell when someone's a Tesla fanboy by the, the, the writing style of the emails that I get about this topic. <laughs> when, when Tesla first created their system, it's actually a really nice system. So full credit for that. What they then said to every other auto manufacturer is like, hey, look, we went through all the trouble and effort to make this. If you'd like, you can use our system. We'll license it to you. We'll license it to you. Exactly. So for a fee, you will pay us to use our system in your car. Now, anyone that knows about history and uh, economics and corporations and the very fact that it was offered is part of the evidence that Tesla is different because it seems like a straightforward idea, right? We already did this. You don't have to do this. We already did this. No other major manufacturer of cars in the fucking world is ever going to go, okay, we're going to tie our destiny to you charging my fucking car. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, it's just, it's a non-starter. So when they, when people bring this up today, that specific thing, does that mean they just don't understand how the world works or yes. are they so far up Elon's ass that they don't care? I, and I'm and, a bit of both. Yeah. Now in my defense, now in my defense, I wasn't advocating for that idea. I was <laughs> like yeah, well, they're, remembering they're, a press yeah. release that was blasted. Cause well, there's, there's, I don't care about Tesla. Yeah. This is from back in the day, from the very beginning, Tesla said this and mm -hmm. uh, this is just like when Sony had Betamax and other people wanted to make home video tape machines before they were new to call them VCRs or VHS tapes. And Sony wanted so much money to use a proprietary license that a, a collaborative of other electronics manufacturers got together, bought some Sony equipment, tore it apart, figured out how it worked, re-engineered it, changed it enough so it wasn't Betamax, it was VHS. And VHS was a lot cheaper, but it was a shittier version of Betamax. Mm -hmm. And he said, mm -hmm. that the video quality in that, the sound quality in that is so subpar, we can ignore those guys. Well, we know how that turned out. So all of the car manufacturers got together and created standards. And in the United States, the standard is CCS. I don't even remember what it stands for, but CCS. There was also Chatamo, but that's fallen by the wayside as a loser. It's kind of like uh, uh, Blu-ray versus... HD video, HD DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Chatham is on the way out. Um, and so now you have CCS and Tesla. Now the thing that has been kicked around and I've had it thrown in my face by multiple Tesla fanboys that Elon in a tweet and, and they'll often <laughs> Tesla announced no, Tesla didn't yeah. announce no. Elon casually said <laughs> in a tweet, which he does all the time. And some of the things he casually says in a tweet become real because he's a billionaire and some things don't where he said, they're going to open up the charging network. And by that, he doesn't mean the destination chargers, which they only have about 5% of the market share because all the other companies are building level two or destination chargers at a much faster rate. But the supercharging network is the shit that it, that's very valuable. That's amazing. So again, I'll give Tesla slash Elon credit for where they deserve it. And there, there they've crushed it. That's absolutely uh, earth changing. If they open it up where you could just pull up your Chevy Bolt into a Tesla supercharging station and plug in my car to their system and charge and all their locations quick and easy and convenient and get back on the road, that makes 
every single EV sold today better, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason why Tesla might go, oh, <laughs> we'll just keep saying we're offering this special to you, but <laughs> not actually give it because no one's ever going to agree to pay us, but they could change the code. It would have to be trivially easy to change the code to say, oh, look, it's a non-Tesla car. Can I let it charge? You might have additional complications where you have different amperage, wattage, voltage, all these things. You might need an adapter. You might not. All of that's trivially easy for a few hundred bucks to solve with a piece of equipment or hardware. The question is, do they want to do it? And up till now, they've just thrown out this idea that, hey, GM, even today, GM, you can buy into our system. We'll, we'll lease the technology to you and you have to give us $3 billion because we've already spent all the money building the network that you get to now use for free. We can't just give it to you. You have to pay in, which actually makes sense. Hmm. But GM's not going to do that. Volkswagen's not going to do that. Nobody else is going to do that. Um, but they might charge at a Tesla station. And the reason that that is a new thing is because in the um, infrastructure bill that's currently being fucked around with in uh, Congress, there's a big chunk of money. I want to say it's in the billions uh, to build out an electric car charging network within the United States. One of the caveats to getting that money is that the charging station that you put in must be usable by everybody. Nice. And a CCS charging connector can be used by anybody and Tesla owners use them. Trust you me. I know because I've been blocked from charging my car because there's the Tesla charging on the non-Tesla charger because they have a little adapter that Tesla made and charged them $400 for. So it can be done. It can go one way. It can go the other way. But mm-hmm. Tesla so far said, no, that's not a Tesla car. We, ch- we ping the car. We talk to the car. There's communication back and forth. If you're not a Tesla car, no matter what adapter you've got, it won't let you charge on the high-speed chargers. They could change that code. They could also put in another line so that the, each tower has two lines. You use one for a Tesla, you use one for a non. And Tesla is considering that now because they want some of this money. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So if they can come out with plans to build supercharging stations that everyone can use, they can get the government to help them pay for it. And so again, it's all about money. Oh yeah. It's not because they said, because uh, the thing I've said is that if Elon really wants to do what he's claimed, which has changed the world and make electric cars a success with a push of a button or a tweet, he could open them all up right now and spend the money and every single car could use Tesla stations right now. And I'm not even suggesting that everyone else gets to use them for free. They would have to pay to get the electricity just like I pay at any other station. Mm. And so Mm. it'd be easily done. The fact that they haven't done it yet is because someone somewhere Elon or somebody else is putting profit uh, above the whole system of having an EV world. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. a long rant on it. Sorry. <laughs> no, no, that was like, that's very interesting. Cause that's something like I, I had thought that he was open sourcing that tech as opposed to no. licensing that tech. So, well, all right. It, in the olden days, he wanted to license it. Now he's talking about uh, letting people use it, but it wouldn't be GM using it. It would be me as a, person driving a Volkswagen or GM being able to use it personally. Well, uh, Dan, Ryan, do you have anything, uh, furthermore that you want to ask? 
I don't. I would. I was. I was thinking, man, I could spin off what Phil just said about you know the government wanting to spend billions of dollars for this, and as as further evidence that libertarianism is a failed ideology, <laughs> and there are certain things that big government can do that corporations cannot or will not. But that's a whole other thing. <laughs> we just need to do a whole episode on libertarianism at some point. Uh, you can yeah. you can call me back if you want. <laughs> honestly deal because you you will definitely understand the financial side of it better than i do we'll, we'll talk we'll talk yeah. offline <laughs> pleasure gentlemen thank you for having me on i greatly appreciate it thank oh, you thank so, you for so coming. much coming uh for so for people who are not in the know yet of your awesomeness where can they find you how can they contact you for more information uh they can send me an email phil at polarisfinancialplanning.com I have a pathetic and sad little website, polarisfinancialplanning.com, where they can go see a few notes. It's a really kind of a compliance thing because anything I put in there, I have to make sure it's legally right. So I just said, fuck it. I'm not going to really have anything there. <laughs> um, the email, they can find me. I think, what is that? What do they call that? Twitter? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm at Skeptic Money. That was the name of an old podcast years ago. Um, I'm on Facebook. So as, uh, the Phil Ferguson show is on Facebook, um, email, uh, or you could just, uh, sign up for the podcast, download all the episodes and play them uh, on your spare computer. So I can get, uh, verified certified views on that. I can make an extra three cents. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much for joining us, Phil. It's been a real pleasure talking to you as always. Look forward to seeing you at some of the, uh, atheist events in the somewhat near-ish future, maybe? <laughs> if, actually, if Delta doesn't course, fuck if everything. If Italian wants to practice, you can, you can hit me up to that. I'm, I'm quasi-fluent in Italian. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate it. It's been great having you on the show, man. Ciao. And with that, we'd like to thank our patron subscribers, starting with Two Skeptical Chaps. Alan Firth. Don't be a Richard. Hunter Grin. John McCullough. Ali Olson, Schneid Duffy, Steve Kuno, Stephen Andrews, Tiffany Hudson, Vanessa, all hail Peanut Butra, that guy who asks questions before he finishes the show, <laughs> Andrew Vodapich, Corey Ebert, Jeff Peterson, Jeremy Goodson, Megan Mitchell, Utah Outcasts, Wesley Aaron, Freethinker215, Matthew Sanders, Chad Pryor, Janet Uter, Purple Dragon, Savita Kuna, Tim Jacobson, Trisha Weir, A Noble Spirit Embiggens the Smallest Man, A Perfectly Cromulent Statement. Ah, fuck you. <laughs> Ted Seven. <laughs> Sarah Segovia. And James, thank you all so very much. If you, dear listener, would like to become a Patreon patron and have your name read on the show just like these fine people, you can do so very easily by going to patreon.com slash godlessrevolution where you can contribute as little as $1 per episode, and then you get all kinds of fun stuff. Extra episodes, extended outtakes, early versions of the show, uh, or I'm sorry, an early release of the show, all kinds of fun stuff like that, and the knowledge that you are keeping the show going and helping us out. That's it. That's all I've got. Uh, I I really, really like Phil. He's just a super nice guy. I, I always like having a good conversation with him. Yeah, he's great. I'm I'm really looking forward to the next time that we're all able to get together at a conference and just like have beers oh, yeah. uh, and sit around the chat. That's going to be great. Yeah. 20 I love that. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs>
Thank you very much, man. I think I gotta find that ice pack oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Turn the fan back on. Yeah. <laughs>